Church, God gathers us, he awakens us to greet the dawn. It's the first Sunday of Advent. We watch and we wait for the one who has come and the one who is coming, singing, Come Thou, Long Expected Jesus. Church, let us stand and begin our worship and song. The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. Well, welcome to winter. Glad that you have joined us this morning in the dark and the cold and the rain. This is about all we get. Um, we hope that you'll take the friendship pad on each one of the pews and fill it out and let us know that you're here with us today, whether you are a regular with us or whether you are visiting today. Our announcements in the bulletin, there are lots of things going on in Advent. You'll notice that our third Friday group is actually meeting the second Friday of December. In order to not get too close to Christmas, it will be a wonderful evening of Christmas concert and sing-along with some Christmas music led by Kristen in our choir, Kristen. Hey, there she is. And, and her high school choir that she directs from Riverside Poly High School. It's a great evening, catered dinner. You need to sign up this Sunday or next Sunday for that. Also, hospitality night in all of Laguna is this Friday night tamales, hot dogs, Christmas cookies, lots of things, art exhibits down in the lower level. And if you will volunteer to bring some Christmas cookies for that, you can sign up on the patio today. Also, our points, you can uh, sign up to sponsor a poinsettia for the sanctuary for Christmas. Our Christmas concert by our choir is coming December 11th, just a couple of weeks away. And also, our spring book talk is already announcing their book. I guess you can give it to somebody for Christmas, because you could get it on the patio today. Um, you'll see that also you can participate within Tankersley Hall in the giving tree. There are a lot of tags that people took last week to give gifts to people who are in need this Christmas. You can also sponsor an animal through Heifer International and give to our homeless Christmas breakfast. If you are planning on uh, going on Jerry's trip to Israel, you will see that there is a planning meeting next Sunday night, December 4th. We also have Advent devotionals that are at each one 
of the exits as you leave today, um, the main one that we are talking about within here is from heaven above. If you would rather read that on a Kindle, there's information in there about how you can download that. We also have some extras left from last year that are Henry now and unto us a child is born, if you would prefer that one. And our Christmas cards are there that list all of our activities and Christmas and Advent, if you would like to pick up some of those and pass those on to somebody that you'd like to invite. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, in the midst of all the pushing and shoving for power among us, so propelled by anxiety, you have planted yourself in your fidelity. You come among us in steadfastness and abiding care, present in the day, alert in the night, making us all safe and noticed and cared for. And so with gratitude we come to worship you this morning, asking that by the power of your spirit you will allow us to see you in our midst today. Amen. This first Sunday of Advent, we remember that we wait with hope. Advent is a time for God's people to reawaken their longings. We long for every hurt to be healed. We wait for every tear to be dried. We wait for every injustice to be made right. We celebrate God's faithfulness to his promises while we long for promises yet to unfold. This morning we light the first candle which reminds us that even in the midst of darkness, the light of hope shines. Jesus Christ is the promised one of God, the light of the world. May this light of hope illumine our hearts throughout this Advent season. I invite you to join in our Advent song. There is a longing in our hearts.
The prophet Isaiah calls us to worship. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us stand, church. The God of Abraham prays. The God of Abraham prays, who reigns and
Let us be seated as we continue in worship to the one who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, the one who we hailed as King, the one who is coming, the one who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, sing, be blessing and honor and glory and power. Be blessing and Our lectionary text this morning, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, calls us to confession. The Apostle writes this exhortation to us. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We sing together this first Sunday of Advent, Psalm 62. We'll sing it through twice so that we can learn it together. Join me in prayer. Lord, we have not kept watch for you. We have occupied ourselves with our own concerns. We have not waited to find your will for us. We have not noticed the needs of the people around us. We've not acknowledged the love that has been shown to us. Forgive us for our lack of watchfulness. Help us to wait to know your will. Help us to look out for the needs of others. Help us to work and watch for your coming. For you, O Lord, our soul in stillness waits. Truly, our hope is in you. We lift up our personal and silent confession.
Amen. Listen to the assurance and the words of comfort from the prophet Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose coming we announce in this season, is our righteousness. In Jesus Christ, we are made right with God. Thanks be to God.
scripture reading this morning is from Daniel chapter 7. We are concluding our series on the, in, within the book of Daniel today. Daniel chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Hear the word of God. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream. I, Daniel, saw in my vision by night the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I watched, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a human being, and a human mind was given to it. Another beast appeared, a second one, that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three tusks in its mouth among its teeth and was told, Arise, devour many bodies. After this, as I watched, another appeared like a leopard. The beast had four wings of a bird on its back and four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the visions by night a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth and was devouring, breaking in pieces and stamping what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that preceded it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns when another horn appeared, a little one coming up among them to make room for it. Three of the earlier horns were plucked up by the roots, there were eyes, like human eyes in this horn, and a mouth speaking arrogantly. As I watched, thrones were set in place, and an ancient one, yours might say the ancient of days, took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning with fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood, stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the noise of the arrogant words that the horn was speaking. And as I watched, the beast was put to death and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. As I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being, or yours might say, like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. By the time of the writing of the book of Daniel, peace had failed again and again for the Jewish people. The land of Canaan that God had given them 
was a land bridge connecting Egypt with the rest of the Mediterranean, with Mesopotamia, with Mesopotamia, and within it were three international trade routes. And so for centuries, army after army trampled through that land, trying to control it, destroying the crops and farmland of the Jordan Valley, raping and pillaging, exacting tribute. It had been a hundred, hundreds of years since that golden age of peace under Kings David and Solomon, when they had more than held their own amidst the other nations of the world. The Old Testament prophets had warned that God would hold them responsible for the way that they stewarded the gifts that God had given them, the gift of land, the gift of God's law, the gift of the covenant relationship with God, the gift of the power that they had, particularly how they used their power to do justice, to care for the widows and the orphans, to care for the least within their society. After years of warning and abuses of power and worship of other gods, there came a time when God called them to account for their failures and allowed the nation to be defeated by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, in 587 BC. Jerusalem was destroyed down to rubble. The temple was ruined, completely destroyed. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, says that it was the 9-11 of the Old Testament. It was the day they thought would never, ever come. Judah would never again have its own earthly king. It would always be under the thumb of one conquering power after another. The educated, the nobility, the best of the best, including Daniel, spoils of war, were taken by the conquerors from the ruins of Jerusalem and from the homes that they loved and were relocated in Babylon. 700 miles away from home. The book of Daniel tells a story of coming to terms with life in that captivity, serving within the royal court of Nebuchadnezzar and his successors in a culture that didn't know their God. Though they lived in Nebuchadnezzar's house, Daniel and his friends were clear that they belonged to Yahweh. They knew who they were, and whose they were. In the first six chapters of Daniel, they have refused to eat the king's food, refused to bow down to the great statue that the king built, refused to pray to the king, to anybody else but Yahweh. And God has delivered them from a fiery furnace and from the jaw of lions. Daniel has grown in favor with the kings. He has been put into a position of influence, and God has given Daniel a gift of interpretation. We've seen him interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, that dream early on in the book of Daniel, of a statue made out of different metals with feet that were vulnerable and that could easily be destroyed by the little rock that came rolling toward it. We also have seen him interpret the handwriting on the wall for Belshazzar. Condemning, condemning Belshazzar to death. The stories that we've read in Daniel 
affirm again and again that even in the midst of impossible circumstances, God is able to protect his people and even to make them prosper in times of great trouble. Now for the rest of Daniel, from chapter 7 on, there are no more stories like that. Now it's Daniel's turn to dream. And most of the rest of the book is his dreams and visions. The dream that we encounter in chapter 7 is just plain weird, isn't it? It is a bizarre world of strange, fierce animals and visions of God's throne in heaven. The literary style is very different from what we've seen before. This is apocalyptic with all sorts of symbols, with those beasts and numbers and colors and all sorts of things. It sounds a lot like the book of Revelation, which is also an apocalyptic style. It's kind of like poetry. It's not meant to be taken literally because it is conveying a, a truth in more of an um, abstract way through these symbols. Sometimes hard to figure out what he's saying. By this time, Daniel has grown old. King Nebuchadnezzar has been dead for 10 years. His successors are weak, and the Babylonian kingdom is headed for disaster. Darius the Mede and his armies are at the gate of the city. They will soon overthrow Babylon. Daniel has experienced the brutality of invading armies before. Years ago, in his homeland, he knows what it's like. He knows the horror of these coming days that are going to be replayed in his new home in Babylon. It is no wonder he has a nightmare of horrible, horrible beasts emerging from the sea. Odds are that the sea to you is not a bad symbol. It's a symbol of something good. Maybe, I don't know, the symbol of the good life. If you believed about the sea, what ancient peoples did, you would not live anywhere near it. Because to the ancient people's thinking, it was a place of primordial chaos. It was a place that was a force that was set against God and all of creation. So in Daniel's dream, to see the sea in turmoil, turmoil was especially horrifying. And even worse, there were those grotesque beasts that were coming out of it. Chaos and evil seemingly let loose on the world. Terrifying, predatory animals with frightening, unnatural features. They had too many heads. They had too many wings. They had too many horns. And then there was this little horn that moved the others out of the way and talked arrogantly. These beasts, one after another, represented the kingdoms that, and the power brokers who would brutally rule God's people of Judah year after year after year, from four centuries, from the 6th century B.C. to the 2nd century B.C. They're the same kingdoms that we saw represented in that statue back in chapter 2. All those kingdoms that would eventually be destroyed. After Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, the Jews would be ruled by the Medes, by the Persians, headed by Cyrus. Remember Cyrus, he was the one that allowed some of the Jews to go back to their land. A modest rebuilding of Jerusalem, a, a little bit of a rebuilding of the temple, not like the great temple ever was before, but an attempt to rebuild 
in that place. Then there would be Alexander the Great, who conquered the Middle East in the 330s. After his death, his empire broke up under his various commanders. And in the 160s, Judah would be under the thumb of one of those domains, a domain based in Syria, led by Antiochus Epiphanes, pictured, we think, in this dream as that arrogant little horn. Antiochus was so evil that people considered him to be Satan himself. Antiochus brutally persecuted the Jewish people. He conducted a program of state terror, murder, enslavement. The Jews saw their houses burned, their loved ones tortured and killed, their Sabbath worship outlawed, the scriptures abolished, their Jewish temple profaned by the sacrificing of a pig on the altar. This is the same happenings that are marked in the celebration of Hanukkah that our Jewish friends celebrate. They celebrate that Antiochus was overcome by the Maccabees. Biblical scholars believe that it was during the reign of Antiochus that this scripture that we have in Daniel 7 was edited in the final form that we have here. The brutal rule of Antiochus gave rise to personal and national fears, even the fear of being wiped out as a people. His rule raised important questions. What is God's response to such abuse of power? It's a question that Jews and Christians have asked again and again through history. What is God doing about it? In Daniel's time, it was the common belief in the ancient Near East that each nation had its own regional gods and that when battles were fought on earth, it was a mirror of what was going on in heaven in the battles between the gods. And so those who won or lost battles on earth showed whether their gods were winning or losing in the heavens. Could it be that for all of these centuries, the Jews had been under foreign, re under foreign rule because the gods of the other nations were more powerful than Yahweh? Had he been defeated by those powers in some kind of cosmic battle? Would the Jewish people be swallowed up by foreign powers forever? Was God powerless to rescue them? Daniel's nightmare revealed that Far from God being defeated, Yahweh, the Holy One, the Ancient of Days, is enthroned in heaven over all. Transcendent, majestic glory, seated on a throne with fire all around him. He is the judge presiding at court in the divine courtroom. And tens of thousands of angelic jurors are surrounding him. They are opening the scrolls and peering into the books to see what has happened on earth. They are reading the records of human actions, and he is holding humans responsible for the way they've used the power that they've been given. The kingdoms of this world, the beasts that are in the dream, are put to an end, and Antiochus, arrogant little horn is destroyed by fire. Despite appearances to the contrary, 
God sees the distortions and the misuses of power, and he is meeting out justice. Mark Laberton, the president of Fuller Seminary, in a recent chapel address said, these dreams of Daniel reframe reality in the context of God's greater power, greater than the politics of the moment, which in their case was the rule of rageaholic, arrogant Antiochus. Daniel's vision is a vision of comfort, isn't it? That God is on the throne. It's also, however, a vision of warning because we all have places where we hold power. And power is a slippery thing, isn't it? It is so enticing, so full of potential, so easily mishandled. Power this side of heaven will never be all that it's supposed to be. But God expects us to steward whatever the power is that he has given to us and to use it for the good that it can accomplish. Daniel's vision is also a vision of hope because there is another figure in those clouds in heaven. The Son of Man is presented before the Ancient of Days and he is given power to rule the nations. The Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself. In fact, Jesus quotes Daniel 7 when he interprets to his disciples when he will come again. He says to his disciples, all the tribes of the earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. In Advent, we long for his first coming to planet earth, to be born in the shadow of the Roman Empire with all of its abuses of power, where Jesus will graciously use his power to heal and to mend, not to destroy, but where Romans, Rome's brutal powers will do their utmost to torture him and to kill him, but he will be raised as victor over death and evil. In Advent, we also wait for his second coming, especially this first Sunday of Advent, it is the tradition to wait for Christ's second coming. His return to planet Earth, when he will bring human kingdoms to an end. And he will usher in God's kingdom that will never have an end. When he will set all things right. And all creation will be restored and redeemed in God's great shalom. And Daniel is also a vision of courage, isn't it? To remember in the midst of whatever is going on, who you are and whose you are. To live as those who belong to the coming king and to live into his purposes and the purposes of his kingdom now while we wait for his kingdom to come in its fullness. I think Daniel's is a vision for today in all the political maneuverings of our world, a vision of comfort, a vision of warning, 
a vision of hope, and a vision of courage. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our sins and fears release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every loving heart. Amen. Awake, awake, and greet the new morn, for angels herald its dawning. Sing out your joy, for soon he is born. Behold the child of our longing. Come as a baby weak and poor to bring all hearts together. He opens wide the heavenly door and lives now inside us forever. To us, to all, sorrow and fear Emmanuel comes us singing His humble song is quiet and near yet fills the earth with its ringing Music to heal the broken soul and hymns of loving kindness The thunder of His hand to shatter all hatred and blindness. In darkest night, his coming shall be when all the world is despairing. As morning light, so quiet and free, so warm and gentle and caring. Then shall the
Lord God, we, your people, gather on this first Sunday of Advent to prepare ourselves for the coming one, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Men. We know our world needs saving. The whole creation is in labor pains in the hopes of being made right. Keep us alert to see and to hear and trust that you are near and that you will complete your work of transforming heaven and earth and of removing all that hurts or destroys. Do not let us be seduced by the busyness of this season or by our preparations for celebration. Empower us to interpret the signs of the time. Save us from superficial materialism and overindulgence in food and drink. Expand our generosity and loosen our bondage to all that inspires anger or fear. We pray for friends and family who are ill and who do not know what the future holds. Give them courage and strength. Heal their bodies and minds. We name them in our hearts before you. We pray for our troubled world, for people caught up and running from evil, we pray. Bring to an end the threats of those who plan to attack or to destabilize others. May we see the time in which nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Allow us to see a time in which nations shall not learn war anymore. Coming, Lord, we pray for your church. We ask for your blessings upon Laguna Presbyterian Church and the Presbytery in which we serve. May your word and spirit bring comfort and hope May we receive correction and peace. Among us, bring unity and truth into harmony. Help us together to work for the fruit of your present and coming kingdom in our lives. As we pray for ourselves, we pray for the larger church that longs to see your light shining from east to west. Fill your church with the power of your Spirit. Give to us all the courage, the witness to the truth of the gospel. Receive our morning offering. May it help us to meet the financial needs of our congregation as we move toward the end of this year. All this we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. As you leave this morning at each one of the exits, you will find our Christmas card with the events of the season if you'd like to take some and pass that along, and also a couple of Advent devotionals for you to choose from. And so throughout this Advent, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. <laughs>